Scuba Obsessed, the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 430 is recorded live December 12th, 2019. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I am getting by and not frozen, but, uh, you know, it was colder this morning than it was at 3 o'clock, and now it's getting a wee bit chilly again. Oh, uh, it is. Well, I, I asked my wife this morning how cold it was. She goes, it's really cold, but it's going to get up to 40. Yep. Yep. And it it kind of did, but it didn't hang around there long at all. No, but I did get out and I didn't post any pictures yet. But uh, I'm always talking about, well, guys, it's cold water now, and it's actually hard water in many places. So even if you hit the river, you're going to break skim ice to get to the good stuff. <laughs> so you're hitting the river then, the hard way. Yeah, you're you're hitting the river for sure. <laughs> So it's 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 uh I think obligatory dry dry suit weather now for sure. If you got them, wear them. What can I say? Yeah, we've done the wetsuit and yeah, it's been a little bit better in the dry suit this time of year. For us in the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere, that's probably uh, getting to be a little bit of nice diving weather down there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even though last week when we got in, it was it was cold. Uh, we didn't have ice. That didn't have to break the ice to get in there. No. This week you have to. You know, you're getting in on shore. You're breaking the ice. At least it makes it easier when people ask you how warm the water is, and you go, "It's about 33 degrees." Yeah, it's pretty easy to tell you. Well, you mean once we got through the ice, it's only. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we we had a whole lineup of articles last week we didn't get to, so I think we're going to start with those. This first one comes from the Frederick News Post. A scuba center proposal moves forward with no public opposition. Only a major partner working with the Frederick County Council Vice President Michael Blue testified at a meeting Tuesday, and this is a couple weeks ago, about a zoning change that would allow scuba diving near his quarry east of Woodsboro. Brad Hill, who owns the Comus Construction, thanked Blue and the rest of the council for work and for getting to learn about the government process. The proposal for opening a scuba center and related attractions has been a joint venture between Blue Hill, Baltimore area scuba instructor Mark, uh, was that Scotchbo? Hill, Scotchbo, and members of the county's planning and permitting division and others were present at Tuesday's public meeting. Uh, they worked for months with the county staff reviewing the county's mineral mining code, drafting language allowed scuba diving center and related activities. The Frederick News Post previously reported the proposal, which includes a scuba facility, ecology center, RV parking, clubhouse, restaurant, and other components, is estimated to cost about $30 million. Blue said Tuesday that the feedback he's received from the council members and the public about the proposal have been positive. He added he doesn't anticipate any major changes before his bill 
reaches a vote. The bill currently defines a scuba facility as any building, structure, or area of land and water that is used for scuba diving education and recreation and stipulates that the site uses an open pit mine fed by natural spring, has setbacks of 50 feet from all property lines, 300 feet from mineral mining, extraction, processing, and hauling equipment, receives approval from the Maryland Department of Environment Planning uh, prior to site plan approval. Councilman Phil Dacey said the project could increase tourism in the northern part of the county, especially given there aren't many diving centers in the region. It's a hidden gem in Frederick County, Darcy said, adding he recently toured the property. It's beautiful. I think potential is incredible. Does that mean they are still extracting and processing material from the quarry? Uh, I'm. Let's see. There was something 300 feet from all mining mineral. That the, it stipulates at the site. So the site itself has to be 300 feet from mining mineral, mineral extraction, processing, and hauling equipment. So th- I would almost take that that you'd have to have a special section that was free from mining, that they don't want you to do dual purpose, that it's recreations and not mining. But considering that this is the quarry owner who's doing this have they stopped the activity it's, it's not i don't i don't think it's clear to me yeah if, if there's a section that's being mined it'd have to be mined underwater right well which some do isn't that there uh there's one there in niles isn't that what they do they got uh, yeah you're right but you could segment that and put a buoy across the the one channel or section and you could dive the rest while they're doing their activity but That's why I was curious, is this still being worked and everybody stays on their side of the, the, buoy, the buoy line? But would you want to be diving when they're doing that? Wouldn't, this, wouldn't it just be like super silt? Don't know. I'm looking at the picture of the area. That's pretty darn big. That's a good sized. Uh... Yeah, and if you were using a grappling or a, a shovel and it picked it back up, you know, the one out there that we're talking about has a continuous belt of shovels, and it just brings it up to shore. Mm-hmm. And you are right around it. You ain't got no viz when it's operating. But in the other sections, you don't have any current paths, so it's not traversing over there. Yeah, look at this photo. I would have to guess that looks about the size of, uh, was it France Park? I don't think France Park is this big. Oh, you you don't think it's that big? No. I mean, this picture looks bigger than France Park. Hmm. It's been years since I've been there, though, I will admit. Many, many years. It it has been, I don't think I've been there probably for eight or nine years at least. And I'd say at least 20 for me. Oh, (laughs) well, it's one of those places, it's, it's worth a dive. But beyond that, you know, unless it was in your own backyard, it just... It doesn't make sense to drive all that way, and yet, unless you unless there. you really were able to see some paddlefish, and oh, the yeah, freshwater I've... and the freshwater. Uh, oh heck, what is that? Uh, the jellyfish. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I, I've seen the paddlefish there. In fact, that's the only place I've seen one in the in the wild, and yep. uh, that that did startle me a little bit. Yeah, that used to be the draw. Yeah. 
that because it, it it's fairly shallow. It, it's a good beginner's lake. Uh, and we did the swim of shame from there. We got way out there and uh, had to surface and swim back. So, yeah, I haven't seen any items on depth and what kind of attractions are going to happen. If they're putting $30 million into it, that's going to be a very, very nice place. Yeah. Well, hopefully it works out because that seems like a, that'd be a, I mean, they're, they're going in big, but I, yep. yeah, how, how many, uh, yeah, it's got to take a while to get that back. You, you, you're doing more than charging just an entry fee at $30 million. So, well, you've got a lot of businesses there, so they're going to be making money from it too. Yeah. Clubhouse, I mean, restaurant, other components. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Camping. Yeah. This could turn out to be very, very nice. Well, the art, you know, campground on its own can do quite well. So, yeah. A little bit of a drive for us, though. And then Venice. Ven- Venice. Why can't? Yeah, Venice. That's right. I'm pronouncing yep. it right. In my mind, I'm thinking it should be Venice or something. But no, it's Venice. Divers help clean Venice following floods. And uh, we had an article a few weeks back. I think we were talking about some some cleaning up being done. Yes. Group of scuba divers came together to clean the canals of Venice yesterday after record high waters hit the lagoon in recent weeks. The crew recovered a large amount of tires during the cleanup operation. We also collected some gas cylinders that were used by bars. They were probably lost during transportation. Yeah, sure. And we recovered them, one of the scuba divers said. The city, beloved around the world for its canals, historic architecture, and art, was hit by high tide at 187 centimeters on the 12th of November. So let's see, that's almost, that'd be about five and a half feet, I'm guessing. Five feet, just a little bit over. Uh, It was just short of the record 194 centimeters, which would have been almost six, set in 1966 and caused the city's worst flooding in 50 years. Oh, I see what they're saying, is that they had high tide, so areas that were normally above water were temporarily below, so stuff got washed in. In a normal condition, tides of 80 to 90 centimeters are generally seen as high but manageable. Four tides above 147 centimeters since the 11th of November, which is the worst month for high tides in Venice since 1872 when officials' statistics were first produced. Millions of euros in damage caused by the city, uh, caused to the city by floods, with funding released Italian government to help deal with the fallout. I am quite sure that the cylinders and the tires had absolutely zero to do with the floods. I agree, because you just didn't happen to have a tire laying around when the flood happened. Right. And the ones we saw the last time we did this, these guys were in hazmats with surface air. Yeah. And when they say cylinders, are they talking about, it says some gas cylinders that are used by bars. Well, you know, when you got your pressurized can of beer? Yeah. That's what I would think. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, somebody just didn't want to have to deal with them. They just rolled them off the side. Even though those can be expensive, so recovering those could be yeah, some, profitable. Yeah, there's some there's some value in that. Uh, tires, not so much. Well, you figure the floodwaters went up six feet, so that's considerable. Yeah, as the picture here indicates. 
Yeah, that that looked like a lot of things were underwater that we wouldn't normally expect then, to see. And in the heat of the summer, it stinks. Oh, yeah. yeah I've, I've, I think I've talked about it before. I have relatives who went over there, and they uh, said it just so- smelled like a sewer. <laughs> not not quite what the Advertising Council for Venice wants mm-hmm. to be publicized. And then this one, a researcher opens underwater living museum in the Dominican Republic. In partnership with the government of the Dominican Republic, researchers at the Indiana University Center for Underwater Sciences have opened their fifth living museum of the sea in the Caribbean country, a continuation of the center's holistic approach to protect and preserve historic shipwrecks as well as their coastal environments. Charles Beaker, director of the Center for Underwater Science and clinical professor of, was it kinesiology? Not sure what that is. At the IU School of Public Health in Bloomington said the creating of the Living Museum in the sea involves both biological and archaeological protection efforts because scientists combine maritime treasures with their associated underwater biology. The underwater museums are open to the public and must be accessed by snorkel or scuba diving. However, to facilitate access to the non-diving public, many of the shipwreck researchers researched by IU have conserved artifacts on display in the Museo del Lasso. Oh, my goodness. Something, something, something. <laughs> in the Dominican Republic National Maritime Museum in the UNESCO World Heritage Site Colonial Zone. Do do some parts of the world, they just string words together just forever? <laughs> I mean, that just is like, it's like when you see the generals from other countries and it's like all that, like a, it's like a plate from their shoulder to their waist of just like different color things. Ribbons and what have you. Yeah. It's just, it's like, I will just, more is better. Uh, I use newest living museum in the sea, 1725 Nostra Signora, no, whatever. Uh, he's located in already protected water of some spot down there, underwater national park along the country's southern coast. Now we're getting to some photos. But I think one of them proves scuba divers don't see much sun because those legs are about enough to blind you. Yeah, that kinsology is the study, scientific study of human or non-human body movement. It addresses uh, psychological dynamic principles and mechanisms of movement. I've seen this referenced in dancing and the arts. Right. Uh, but you can also say the human body movement in the in a fluid medium such as water, like the mermaid items, teaching the mermaids. I just think it's an excuse to be able to do whatever he wants. I sure do like the cannons. Oh, there, those are beautiful. Yeah, cannons. And there's a there's a plaque you can see next to it. Bunch of rope down there. The bottom is interesting. The lack of vegetation, coral. I mean, it's got random pieces of whatever, but it's not like a coral head or something or an embankment of coral. I like the one where they are re repositioning the cannon on that first shot with that huge lift bag. Oh, okay. So that's what's going on. And that might explain why there's no growth here is that maybe they set this up in an area that didn't have much. Yeah. Cause for the cannon are, there's quite a bit of growth 
in the background, you can see the the seafloor itself. That where the like plaque is. And, yeah. yeah. Where the plaque is, there's nothing. Then a couple of candles and other items laying around. Oh, but I see that the um, concrete pad with the plaque, that second shot has a cannon off to the left of it. That'd still be pretty cool to see that sucker. Well, if you if you look in that that I'm sorry, I'm backing away from the mic here. If you look at that photo where he's by the plaque, if you look where his fins are, that's the edge of the cannon. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know what he was doing with the rope. Uh, unless they had just let something down, or it's just come home button. I yeah. just follow the rope. Yeah, that, that's a heck of a cable line if it is. Yeah. You can, you can pull quite a bit with that. Uh, but I dive well, it. That's that's fun. I mean, here oh, you go. I like the, the part. Level. You know why they're doing that? It says, uh, the IU team placed the artifacts, such as old cannon and anchors, uh, back underwater to create a mock shipwreck. Oh, okay. So these are recovered artifacts then. Yeah. Uh, the Spanish merchant vessel that sank in the 18th century for several years with a covered diagnostic artifacts conserved and interpreted for display in the museum. Uh, but the primary mission is in situ preservation and creation of underwater exhibit protected for this and future generations. Treasure hunters can sell it only once with the living museum model. We can sell history forever. Well, I like that section where they were talking about that the underwater museums are a creative solution to the problem unique to the Dominican Republic, where treasure hunting from shipwrecks is still legal as long as half of what is salvaged is returned to the government. Now, that's a good win-win. It also yeah. talked about it created a situation where the government is stuck with a large number of artifacts that can't <laughs> survive above water, doesn't have the resources to fix it, so they put it back. Which, in this case... Make a mock shipwreck, which people will yeah. go see. I'd go see it. Yeah. And I bet you they have some beautiful weather down there. Probably different than ours. Especially right now. I'm betting that they don't have ice in their river today. Not in the least. But they do have little items like hurricanes, things like that that we don't have to, to contend with. Yeah, and then uh, here is is one from New England Newspaper and Press Association, the Daily News. Uh, a local teacher is part of a team that found a sunken shipwreck. King, who has worked on the Maskmamet Regional School District for 18 years, admits it'd be nice to find some sunken treasure in part because scuba diving is an expensive hobby. But he and the group that dives with him, the Nomad Exploration Team, are usually seeking a different sort of reward. They identify first by doing research and talking with other divers. We start looking for stories, King said. Every shipwreck involves a story about how it was lost, what happened to its passengers, but the best stories belong to vessels that had never been found. That's because locating them not only brings the past back to life, but may also add to our understanding of what happened when they sank. Diving is one of the few hobbies where you can truly go somewhere nobody else has been and see something that nobody else has seen before. 
the loss of the Navy vessel, the USS Eagle PE-56, in last week's World War II was compelling story that had long fascinated King and other fellow divers, Jeff Goodrow and Danny Allen. The five-year search for the ship began the subject of a three-part documentary, The Hunt for Eagle 56, which is first broadcast in September on the Smithsonian Channel, is available to watch on demand episodes available in other formats. You don't think this is promoted, do you? Uncovering, uncovering the truth, Eagle 56, which was built during World War I, exploded and sank off Cape Elizabeth, Maine on April 23, 1945, killing 49 members of the crew and leaving 13 survivors. Two bodies were recovered. A formal inquest determined the ship's boilers had exploded, but survivors said they had seen a German submarine after attack and recalled unique designs on its conning tower. A lawyer from Brockton, Paul Lawton, conducted research that was published in 2005 and due to enemy action, the true World War II story of the USS Eagle 56 by Stephen Paulo. The book eventually led the Navy to reverse its findings and clear the Eagle 56 had been torpedoed by an enemy vessel. Lawton found that three remaining survivors from the ship and recorded their accounts of its sinking, which differed significantly from the Navy's official version. Portions of the testimony appeared in the hunt for Eagle 56, although all three had died since they were filmed. One important consequence of the Navy's revision of its finding had been to allow crew members who died on the explosion to receive post post uh, after the fact Purple Heart medals in recognition of their sacrifice. Now you're not. Rec- we are recording, but nobody's available, right? Question: I can't find where you're at in my notes. Uh, this What's- is the Newburyport News. Okay, gotcha. Uh, I just saw German submarine stuff, and I was like, "What?" Okay, now I gotcha. Yeah. Steam pressure gauge looks interesting. A little bit worse for wear. Yeah, it 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 been through a little bit. But they, it, it's quite a long article. It's worth a read. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah. I I would be. I'd like to see some more pictures. Well, there there are there are ten there. So I think if you scroll, and I just scrolled. I don't see any. Yeah, oh, if you look, you at, in the, Let me hit the button. Yep. Ooh, I like that one. Is that the engine, one is that looks like, like a, engine parts. Number four. Four. Ooh, yeah, that is a nice one. Yeah, and interesting on what number six is also. That's not a sextant, is it? I don't know. That's what it looked like, didn't it? It kind of does, just because you're just the association with the water and the shape, but it could be. Now, does that give the depth? Because I'm looking at one of the pictures. It looks like the guy's got a rebreather. Hard to tell the way it's mounted. Yeah, I'm going to say it's fairly deep just because of the, the lighting. It is kind of an overcast day, but because photo seven shows the guy sits standing up on deck and technical gear. Huh. I'm so I'm it is. It is called the the Eagle Fifty Six. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, sunk while towing targets for a Navy bomber. <laughs> Well, that's a bad. That's a bit little. 
Yeah. On April 23rd, uh, 1945, while towing targets for a U.S. Navy bomber exercise off the coast of Maine, Eagle 56 was sunk by a German submarine U-853. Only 13 of the 62 crew survived. Could you think that have a little bit to do with why the official story didn't mention the submarine? Because wouldn't that be a little bit embarrassing? Well, I would think that if the Navy bomber was doing some exercises, maybe it could have sunk the freaking sub. Yeah. And I was trying to see if it gave me how deep it was, and I didn't see that. Six miles from shore, I see that. Yeah. Okay. Wreckage sits at more than 250 feet below the surface. So that is uh, rebreathers these guys are wearing that I'm looking at. So it's a, they had a little deco obligation on this one. I'm right. Sure. It said uh, the site has been designated as a war grave, even and the ship's plating is rusting away. Visibility is most often less than 20 feet. Uh, decompression on these dives lasts an hour to two hours and sometime longer. Wow. The pictures of it are quite interesting, though. Yep, some nice photos. Yeah, nice article. Did they, they then, did they say exactly how they found it? Say exactly what? How they found it. I mean, where if somebody was bombing it and it sank, one would think that they'd have a good location. Yeah, I you would think so. I I I have an idea this is one of those rediscovered wrecks. Yeah. You know, that it was in the records and you know, nobody was actively diving on it or done anything with it. So it was a case of doing some research, figuring out what activity was going on that day. Because yeah. they have the story, the official story. Yeah. So it's just a matter of putting it all together. And I'm sure on the East Coast, you're out quite a bit. So you're not, it's, you got to be looking for it really to find it. Mm-hmm. And then here we've got our, uh, Newest favorite shipwrecks, these uh, wash-ups on the beach. Um, yeah, they had these in the paper last week yeah, here in Herald Palladium. Yeah, they've been all over, and we've got two articles that are linked in the show notes that will talk about them. Uh, and this last one, which is from the Daily Mail out of the U.K., some of the best local shipwreck news <laughs> from the U.K., Mysterious shipwreck thought to be the barge that sank 90 years ago is uncovered after a storm surge in Lake Michigan. Um, the wreckage was found off the Muskegon coast after a storm last week. The West Michigan Underwater Preserve, which is preserved just north of ours in the Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve, which helps the state of Michigan to preserve and discover shipwrecks, was called in to investigate the discovery. John Hansen, uh, said he believes the wreck is a barge that sank in the 1930s. He said our best theory is that 1936 there's a barge being towed from Grand Haven to Muskegon who is hauling a 1915 steam crane. Was it Brycris Erie steam crane? The bow separated from the barge and the crane went in Lake Michigan and exploded. Makes you wonder why it did if it wasn't being used. Why would it the would boiler be active? The, yeah, they 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 had to have had it active. I wonder what they were doing. Were they doing some, like, dredging? 
or did they need the steam to keep it up or stable? Seems like a lot of work. Uh, do you see the picture of the guy in the blue suit? Yeah. That's not John Handsome, as I understand. Oh, okay. I, I'm trying to think of his name because he, he has dove with us before in the ice okay. at Lake 16. And I cannot for the life of me think of his name right now. I'm just curious. Why did they call it mysterious? Well, you know what? That might that I think that's not saying that's him. I think John took the photo. That's what I think too. And I, yeah. I was going to give him credit, but I can't think of his name to save my life. Yeah. But why do they call it mysterious? Since because it comes it, and goes, it's been there before. It's clickbait. That's it's, that's what makes it mysterious. Yeah. Why did I do this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the Great Lakes are riddled with mysterious shipwrecks, ooh, even more mysterious. An intact wreck of the schooner, which sank in 1891, was also discovered in Lake Michigan. The two other schooners from the Civil War more than 140 years ago were discovered near Beaver Island in Lake Michigan. A steamer wreck was found 103 years after it sank in Lake Superior, and earlier this year the wreck of the S.R. Kirby was found on the Keweenaw Peninsula of Michigan. Wreckage was found near Eagle Harbor in Michigan in 2018. So they're just listing every wreck that's been found. Not sure what the maybe it's, the, the author must get paid by the word. Uh, but I like the photos. Yes. Now we're due to find one down here in our preserve. And a long-sought World War One wreck is found. The German ship SMS Scarnhorst was sunk off the Falkland Islands in 1914. The shipwreck appeared miles beneath the waves, said the research uh, team leader. Suddenly, she just came out of the gloom with great guns pointing in every direction. Menson Bound said a discovery of the SMS Schornhost, a German armored cruiser, sank more than a century ago in the early days of World War I. The ship found by an autonomous underwater vehicle about 100 nautical miles south of Port Stanley in the Falkland Islands was sunk by British Navy on December 8, 1914, per Live Science. We are often chasing shadows in the seabed, but there were no doubt that this is one of the German fleet, said Bound, a Falkland Islander, marine archaeologist, who calls it an unforgettable, poignant moment of my life. Vice Admiral Maximilian Graft von Spree and more than 800 soldiers met watery graves in the sinking of the East Asian Squadron's flagship. It was payback for the Battle of Cornell off the coast of Chile five weeks earlier, in which a flagship had helped hand Britain its first naval defeat of the war, with 1,600 lives lost per the BBC. The subsequent Battle of the Falkland Islands, seeing the loss of 2,200 German sailors, including Graft. Von Spree's two sons meant Germans, Germany's only permanent overseas naval formation effectively ceased to exist per a release. The Graft von Spree family says the discovery of the remains is a huge waste of life, but we take comfort in the knowledge that the final resting place of so many has been found and can now be preserved. Indeed, the Falkland Maritime Heritage Trust is pushing to have the, the undisturbed site protected by law. This is the Schrenhorst you're talking about? Yeah. 
Well, since it's at 5,282 feet down, I'm not quite sure what type of formal protection you need. (laughs) Well, maybe it's one that they actually can protect. (laughs) A mile deep? Yeah, don't go there. But the the picture is quite awesome, isn't it? The uh, surface picture. The four stacker. Talk about air pollution. Yeah. Did you did you watch any of the video? No, I did not. I've just looked at some of the still pictures, which are very very nice. Uh, the visibility seems to be very good down there. But there's you know mile down. I wonder how much current they have anywhere. Yeah. Interesting. And then a century-old shipwreck discovered by abalone diver off Western Australia's coast, well, south coast. The former immigrant ship, the Herschel, was scuttled 25 kilometers east of Albany in 1907. Over the years, the whereabouts became a mystery, but now has changed after the chance discovery by experienced fisherman Mark Payne. I was just swimming along the edge of the island looking for abalone, I looked up and saw a strange object, Mr. Payne said. I followed the object along and turned into more pieces that looked like a ship's hull. I then followed it down to about 22 meters of the sand line, and there was a large bow down there. Built in 1857 in England, the Herschel is one of the early iron sailing ships between 1870 and 1880 brought by immigrants to Australia for the Palmer River Gold Rush in far north Queensland. It was then sold to a Norwegian company used to transport coal before becoming a coal hulk in Albany until it was scuttled in 1907. Mr. Payne contacted Ross Anderson, a curator of the Western Australia Shipwreck Museum, was surprised to learn no official records exist of the wreck. I thought the ship had been already discovered, he said. It was more exciting when I rang up Ross and he said there was no shipwreck at that location. Do you think that's because it was scuttled? Nobody, I mean, it's, that's like throwing it away. It's like garbage at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you know, it, it wouldn't have been in the paper. I mean, we don't report on, you know, semi tractor scrapped or anything. Yeah. It's one of those items. People knew where it was, but nobody cared about it at the time. So yeah. now it's relocated. Just like you said, that's a really cool, that's a cool picture though. I like the one where he's diving on it that shows uh, the stern of the mostly intact part of the wreck is lying on its side at 22 meters below the surface. That'd be a fun one to dive on. Uh, uh, yeah. Divers Easy have taken too. measurements of the ship's key features to create 3D models of the site. The data provided is valuable insight to Western Australia's maritime history, and particularly the operations of the Albany port at the turn of the last century. Perhaps somewhere else in the world they might have cut it up for scrap iron, but we've got this part of Albany's maritime heritage still lying here in the waters. We can see what they salvaged from the wreck and what they've removed and dumped it, and discussions go on to behavior. So I take it they must not have done much net fishing there? Because I'm sure no, if you were... would have been snagged. And you would have been ticked about the second time you lose your net in the same spot. Yeah. You'd have been, that's it. And, I'm, and they show photos of it, and I'm not seeing that, so. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, did you miss one article, by the way? Something about the red flags following that scuba incident and Thanksgiving? No, we covered that last week. Wasn't that the one? Before we got sidetracked? Yeah. Well, I think... I think uh, yes, we did. That's the one where the guy got ran over, lost a leg and an arm or something. Yeah. 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 Did you ever see a follow-up on that? Because I don't think we did, did we? No. No, it was fairly new, uh, and, and we hadn't seen anything. Okay, I just... When you oh, said that, then I said, oh, yeah, well, I remember oh, and, it now. And I have another article, but it's the one we just covered. So this must have been the one that you were looking at. I was looking at a different one. This is the one from the BBC. And, yeah, you're right, the four stacks, it's just a blowing out. Yeah, the, the other article had the video, but this one has the stills from the video. That's nice. Well, I think that does it for Scuba the News. I thought I had more, but that will finish it off. Um, did we talk about the uh, turkey dive last week? I'm trying to remember. I don't think so. I mean, we got Dave got on there and started talking about bottles and stuff, and I got so engrossed in his verbalization. Yeah. It's like, okay, let's take a break here and talk nothing but uh, about diving yeah, yeah. red yeah, we, bottles. It, what we, we needed to do is, is I, sh- I should just record right from the beginning because that was some of the best conversation, I think, rehashing it. On the show, we missed a little bit of the enthusiasm. Well, I was going to say that's exactly it. His his enthusiasm was contagious. Yeah, uh, and and everything he was he was. And then we went here, and then we found that, and then there's this over here, and yeah, there's some. I've I've got to get over there and and do some diving, but I've just got to figure out how do I open my schedule enough to spend that. Well, time. Now you know the follow up on that, right? That a dive schedule for this weekend on Sunday. Well, I, I, I saw I the part where they, they can't because the dock that they load and take the barge over uh, collapsed. <laughs> so they're fixing the dock. So oh, no, I missed make... that part. Yeah, so we're not missing anything then. Oh, you, do you miss that? Yeah, the video, the pictures of that. So it's like, we're not going to yeah. go do that because we don't well, have a way to get there now. So that was postponed. And then as an alternate, anybody wants to dive the river on Sunday, uh, but they're going to try to do an open water river dive there in Niles. Yeah. Did you see there's also, isn't there also a pool uh, dive on Saturday? I, I wanted to say that uh, just add H2O there out of uh, uh, South Bend Granger. I did not see that. Were they diving? Uh, I think Bridgman. Oh, you mean the pool pool party? Yeah. Oh, is that is that a pool party without gear? Well, got, to me, you can take anything you want when you go to a pool party. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I was. Uh, so that's coming up. Um, I'm gonna be trying to finish laying my flooring, try and get that done, which has nothing to do with diving. Other than if I can get it done, then it means I've got 25 years before I got to worry about it again, so I can dive. Yeah. No, I don't think we don't. We didn't have, uh, we only had two people in the water on the turkey dive. Myself and a gentleman from uh, Grand Rapids came down. Uh, yeah. He, who has dove with uh, Kevin, uh, he's a rebreather diver, but he wanted yeah. to uh, try the river. 
so we dove. Uh, we but we had tin shore support, which was great. Yeah, uh, they had enough people to set up the tent for the uh, hot chocolate, cocoa, whatever you wanted, coffee. Uh, had heaters, so the people on shore weren't just freezing their buns off waiting for us to get the hell out of the water. And then uh, we did traverse over to the Nugget afterwards. We started to go to the Good Enough, but we know that on the weekend when they're having sports, it's very loud Mm -hmm. and congested. So we went to the Nugget, where it's more sedate and people could talk, which we did. So it was a good time before, during, and after. Yep. Plenty of coffee. I I think anytime we go in there after a dive in the river, uh, we always make them brew a few pots so uh, having their soup of the day is never a bad idea yeah warm us up really good yeah and then uh there was some interesting objects that you found in the river what was it uh like a look like a fuel pump or something maybe yeah, yeah it looked like a uh well the one part with the carburetor part of uh, assembly by it was a fuel pump uh i got a very nice uh, milk and a a, a serrated crown top that mm-hmm. uh, I gave to Jake because I really didn't want any more bottles. Yeah, I think that was and, a squeeze, squeeze or something on it. Yep, and then, uh, you know, the old ceramic light fixtures you used to have when you used to have, like, one line going mm-hmm. through your Michigan basement. Yeah. Uh, two of those. And uh, no fish, which surprises, no crayfish. And weeds were really minimal. And we actually had probably anywhere from two in some places up to five feet visibility. Yeah. Yeah, because I could see, I, I took quite a bit of uh, video from the surface and, and shots, and you could see you even when you were on the bottom. Yep. I could, I could still see your tank. Yep. Uh, but you were pulling up stuff in area that we usually don't see much. That's usually uh, pretty silted up there. So... I don't know if it blew stuff off the top or if uh, stuff had drifted down in some of the heavy currents. Not sure. I, oh, and that VW, I got that big hubcap, VW hubcap. I left yeah. that up on the side, so if anybody had a VW, they could have it. Because it's not your normal small wheel. So no. it almost looked big enough to put on, you know, the spare tire that you have in the back yeah. of cars is one of those emblems you could stick in the middle of that. Yeah. I see Eric came online. Yeah, hi, Eric. I just saw him post a note real quick. Yeah, so... Uh, and let's yeah. see, I did get into water um, with uh, Ken. We ha- we had a small job putting on a 18-inch, what you call a duckbill, a duckbill check valve at uh, the local golf course, which since the uh, Popaw River flows in many meandering paths, throughout the golf course, meaning eventually you're going to find a lot of golf balls. The pushback on the water, like downtown in Benton Harbor, the water's so high that it's going up the the, the uh, drainage pipes yeah. and flooding downtown. Well, it's flooding their golf course. So they capped them initially until we got the caps off and then put on the check valve so it doesn't backflow and make a pond where you really don't want a pond. Right. But uh, the visibility was not. It was all Braille. <laughs> and it was freaking cold, especially when my glove leaked. Oh. Yep. 
Well, I was trying to use five fingers, and it's hard to use a screwdriver with mitts or thick gloves, so I had to use some uh, not-so-thick. Right. And uh, got chilly pretty quick. And there has been discussion on the uh, New Year's dive. I'll put that out on the club site soon. Okay. Uh, so far, it looks like Mary Beth, uh, Larry, and myself as a positive will go. And we're thinking we're going to do weather permitting, ice permitting. We're going to do St. Joe River in Niles, where we normally oh, okay. dive. We've been there. Uh, and if that is not going to be a go, we will then go back to Papa and do it off of Forest Beach. Okay. But we will post it for anybody who wants to show up. Uh, we had uh, Otto last year just, boom, turned around. There he is. So he dove with us. Wanted to do it. So welcome to the club. There you go. It's always a good time. Yep. I got to work on my uh, exit valve, relief valve on my suit, though. I think it's leaking. Matter of fact, I know it's leaking. I just got to figure out why. <laughs> yeah. With this yeah, water like, temperature, you you know if it's leaking. Oh, yeah. And you, yeah, and when you take your clothes off, it's like, well, from the elbow back to your right side of your chest, you can pretty yeah. much figure where that came from. Yeah, you didn't pee on yourself that bad. Yeah, not that high. <laughs> I didn't go upside down and let it go down. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd have put it in my gloves and warmed my hands up. <laughs> yeah. So do you have a dive safety story for the week? I well, I don't have a safety one. Let me think. I have uh, got to find it now. Somewhere I have it. I found it. I'm now making it come up to life. Yeah, sometimes they fall asleep. Okay, this could be a long one, but I'll make my screen a little bigger so I can read it. Um, I like to use Dan a lot because they have some tremendously interesting and Useful information items. This one here is called the eye in diving. Our eyes normally exist in a world where the pressure around them is a result of the combined weight of all the gases of the Earth's atmosphere. Diving exposes the eyes to increased pressures. While most of the time this has little or no negative effects on the diver, increased eye pressure in scuba diving can result in ocular decompression sickness and other disorders. It may also raise questions about the management of common eye conditions in divers. So, the issues here are, for the most part, historically, not been well addressed in op- in eye literature. I'll leave the big pronunciation words to you. <laughs> so, the question is, is it safe to dive after um, having a radial keratomanum? Can you pronounce that better than me? That's it. Yep. Our better name is RK. It's a surgical procedure designed to cure myopia, nearsightedness. In the operation, the surgeon makes a small number of radial-oriented incisions around the cornea. These incisions cause a decrease in the strength of the cornea and may increase the risk of serious injury. If the eye is subjected to subsequent trauma, including barotrauma, such as face mask squeeze. Says divers who have had this procedure should wait at least three months after the surgery before returning to diving, and should be careful to avoid face mask squeeze. To me, that's an important item because a lot of people do have that RK, 
And you wonder if the diver mentions it or the doctor, if he doesn't know you're a diver, might not mention that. Right. So having at least, you know, the knowledge, hey, minimum three months, don't get squeezed. And more important, ask the doctor. Yeah. And uh, I think that's uh, valid for almost any condition. Yes, one would think so. Now, then it says, is it safe to dive after having had the new laser refractive surgery? Photorefractive keratotomy. Keraton- the same word you had for Keratotomy? Keratotomy. I can't pronounce that tonight. Yeah. Or it's called PRK. Now, it said, yes, this procedure uses the laser reshaping of the cornea instead of incisions to treat myopia. This method results in no decrease in the structural integrity of the cornea and no risk of corneal rupture as a a result of face mask squeeze. It should be safe, should, to dive approximately two weeks after this. says, definitely discuss these plans with your physician. Get a final eval before you dive because everybody's surgery is a little different. The next item says, what are the best contact lenses to wear underwater? It says, divers who wish to wear contact lenses while diving should, one, ask the doctor to prescribe soft contact lenses. Hard lenses are rigid semi-gas uh, permeable lenses. And I talked about two other commonly prescribed types of lens have been found to sometimes cause symptoms of eye pain and blurred vision during and after a dive. And part of that, he said, is uh, in which the diver accumulates a significant inert gas load. These problems occur as a result of gas bubbles forming between the cornea and the contact lens. So if you are, it says, use soft contact lenses. And then it said, can divers who have had cataract surgery dive? And it said, yep, most cataract surgeons now use surgical incisions to or that are designed to provide maximum post-operative wound strength. The recommended waiting time prior to returning to diving obviously depends upon the type of incision made. Ask your surgeon for recommendations for your particular type of surgery. So you can, but find out from your doc what he's recommending for times. Another one, especially as you get older, is, is it dangerous to dive if you have glaucoma? Uh, the disease which you have an increased pressure inside the eye and associated with with damage to the optic nerve and loss of vision. Because of this, physicians have voiced concern about the possibility that a hyperbaric environment might therefore cause increased damage to the eye. Although this would seem to be a logical conclusion, Diving thus far has not been shown to be a problem for uh, glaucoma patients. This is most likely because the damage associated with glaucoma is a factor of the difference between the pressure inside the eye and the surrounding pressure, rather than simply the absolute magnitude of the pressure inside of the eye. Said again, there are two important considerations for glaucoma patients who wish to dive. Some of the medications used to lower the eye pressure may have adverse effects when diving. Trimol, it's T-I-M-O-L-O-L, for example, may result in a decrease in heart rate, which could theoretically place a small percentage of divers at higher risk for loss of consciousness underwater. 
And then it says, um, I can't pronounce it, but it's called Diamox is a generic. It's acetamol, A-C-T-A-Z-O-L-A-M-I-D-E, or Dimox, may cause uh, tingling sensations of the hands and feet that could be mistaken for symptoms of decompression sickness. These and other ocular medications are discussed in detail in some of the Dan articles. Like they say, if you've had glaucoma surgery or taken medications, definitely check with your ophthalmologist before you dive. And the last part I thought was interesting, is it possible to get ocular eye decompression sickness? And it said, ocular decompression sickness is a relative uncommon event, but one which does occur and is very important for divers to be aware of and the possibility of DCS. The symptoms may include loss of vision, I think I'd be very concerned, blurred vision, double vision, blind spots in your field of vision, pain around the eye, and normal eye movements. And as it said, the presence of any of these symptoms following a dive should be evaluated as soon as possible by a physician knowledgeable about diving entries and or the diver should call Dan, especially if you're with your ophthalmologist, because then they can talk together at a level that you're not going to be able to understand. Right. And then the last one, it said, I just came up from a dive. Notice my vision is now blurry. What condition could cause this symptom? And it said, possible causes of blurred vision after diving include contact lenses, which became tightly adhered to the eye during a dive. If that, if you wear tight contacts, said try using a lubricant eye drops to relieve this. You may have a displaced contact lens. You know, you may have coronal, cranial irritation from mask anti-fog solutions. I think we've all had a little burning sensation sometime. Um, you can also get ultraviolet or sunburn damage to the cornea. Corneal irritation resulting from bubbles under hard or rigid contact lenses, even the use of transdermal scolopane to prevent motion sickness, and then obviously decompression sickness and our arterial gas embolism. When in doubt, get to a doctor, call Dan. And since everybody has eyes, nice words of wisdom. Also, I would really advise looking under the same topic, eye treatment, under Dan, and I have some really nice articles on that. Yeah. Give you a heads up. And then just some of the things in general is, is uh, anytime you've had any sort of surgery or procedure, you got to give that time to heal. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're risking, even though you think you may be in a mask, you're, you're risking exposing your eyes to whatever water you're diving in. And do you really want, you know, you've got, uh, a recent uh, condition that might be able to expose bacteria and whatever's in the water to your your eyes. You oh, absolutely be careful about that. Yep. Very good information. Well, again, you know, I think most people know that already. That yeah. any issue with any part of the body, or especially the eyes, even your ears, if it wasn't that way when you went down and you got it now. You really want to get that checked out, and you don't want to wait. Yeah. 
Yeah, the suffering through it just means you're suffering and then potentially risking it getting worse. Well. Let's see. Do we have anything else that we need to cover? Um, you know, as, I don't as, have anything on my list other than the upcoming New Year's dive and possible yep. uh, river dive this Saturday the or Sunday, uh, the fifteenth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will be busy, so I won't be able to do the fifteenth. Yep, and you know now is a perfect time of year to get your gear in and serviced if you're not going to try and attempt the dive during the winter. Why not get it all cleaned up, ready, and set to go for when we get into that prime diving season? Which well, I, I did closer. actually take – I took two tanks in last week to get filled, and uh-huh. uh, Eagle Eye Jim went through and said, uh, hey, Mac, you know, you're uh, out of your VIP. Um, um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but- so I, I, I got him emptied, got him VIP'd, and then he said, and by the way, this tank's going to need hydro next year. Yeah, I think I'm in the same situation. I think I've got one that I, both of them need VIP'd right now. And then one of them is like a year off from a hydro. Well, I got two I've had in hydro. I hadn't got them back for, gosh, three, four months now. But they've been having difficulties with their machine having broken down several times. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say that's unusual because normally I can you take them down there and they're they're back remarkably quick. Yeah, and they've they've had issues. I know I went down to see Jim. That whole entryway is with tanks because uh, the uh, the commercial diving group brought all their gear in for hydros on their tanks. I think they brought him forty different regulators for uh, tune-ups, service and tune-ups. Well, hey, time to get it done. I, absolutely. I mean, they're not diving a lot right now, but Soon as uh, some of the weather breaks, they're going to be out there probably doing uh, shoreline work, and who knows mm-hmm. what kind of diving will be needed for that. Yeah. And I did notice something that was interesting. Uh, last week I was out there doing a sunset shot, and it's like, wait a minute, what's that little boat going back and forth? And there's a boat. It was out there hours because he was out there when I was flying in the afternoon, and he was in front of the. Uh, Sir Quarter Planner, the intake, excuse me, at St. Joe. Hmm. I'd be very surprised if he was not mapping the piping out that went to the intake structure. So. To see how much had changed from the sand. And I just wonder if the intake got buried. Oh, yeah. That would be uh, something they might need to uh, address. Yeah. yeah, He could be doing measurements to see. uh, how many feet of sand they have to suck off the top of that. Yep. Plus you, you just can't move the sand off the top of it because as soon as you do, it just is going to come from someplace else. Yes. It's going to be an interesting. So it looked like they were doing a big pattern. So not just the pipe because he was out there too many hours. I bet they did that whole outlay just to see, like you said, how much sand encroachment have they had due to the uh, weather we've been undergoing. Yeah. I wonder if they could do kind of like a twofer or something. You know, you take the sand off the crib and put it back on the beach. Well, I'll tell you what. Have you been to the beaches lately? No, but I've seen the photos you've posted. I tell you, when you come down that one street to go to Silver Beach, turn to the right, that water has undercut the the benches right uh-huh. there. And you go down the first couple hundred feet, and it is 
parallel to the road almost. Uh, the biggest speech you're going to have right now is going to be Gene Clock. That's the one that looks the nicest because they actually had a beach and they have one right now. Yeah. But Discornia, it's, it's, you've got from the bluff down five, six foot drop. And when oh. the water comes up, it's at the bottom of that drop. Wow. Yep. And you know those houses from that are right there on the beach, down from Silver Beach, between that and Lions Park? Yep. I walked that area last week, took pictures, and there's one house for sale. And if they're <laughs> not able to put down pilings in addition to rock, those houses are going bye-bye. Wow. I mean, the brand-new house they just built, I don't think has got 15 feet to the bluff. Hmm. Yeah, they they they're not a, they're not going to be happy happy campers at all. No, no, and that's uh, that's uh, billionaire money. You need to fix some of that stuff. Well, it's it's interesting because it's near the public access, and it's like you just can't fix the public access. You know, you got Silver Beach, which is public. You got those five or six houses. Then you got the road access to the beach. Then you got, what, seven houses. Then you got uh, Lions Park. So you can't fix those without fixing the ones in the middle. Yeah. Because it would undercut it on the outside. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're just borrowing the land. You don't get to keep it. Mother well, Nature I, wins all the time. She does. So I think we're to that time of the show. Are you ready? Yes, sir. I am sitting down, ready to roll. Okay. Well, we have two scuba divers are lying on the bank of a river when a turd goes floating by. The turd yells to the scuba divers, hey, guys, come on in. The water feels great. One diver looks at the other diver and says, do you believe that crap? (laughs) All right. That's cute. It does remind me that when we're out there in the river sometime and you see that that uh, flocculent going downstream. Yes. And you always wonder, what is that stuff? Is that from the uh, paper plant or yeah. is that from the sewer plant? Yeah, you're hoping it's just a little bit of uh, foaming from the paper plant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, did, you, it's, it, did you see it? Were you talking about the car they they pulled up? We talked about that what last week, week before. I think we did. Uh, yeah, we, we can we can mention a little bit again. I'd I'd be willing to take a boat ride down there just to look. Let's see Remember where that that one little place I took you that we're getting all the bottles uh-huh. that we haven't been back to in a couple of years. Yeah, so further down is where those two boats were buried, the big uh-huh. ones. I'm really really wondering. If that current uncovered them boats. Yeah. I'd love to go down there and take a look at that. I bet you because they did. They did. Those, those boats have got to have been quite old. Yeah. I'd like to see that. Yep. So on that note, go out there and get wet. And above all, stay safe.
see if we can get Craig to do his thing. You know, you, you, we almost started on time again, and a little over an hour, it's like, damn. 